Let me open us in a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll dive in. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you that we can gather together as your people. We thank you, Father, that the gospel has gone even to the ends of the earth, even as far as Redding, California. That Here we are, we, we have access to your word, we know your gospel, we believe in Jesus, and we thank you, God, that you have seen fit to place us in this place and time when we have access to this saving message. And we pray, God, that you would help us as a church to be to grow in communicating that message to those around us and also to continue your work of taking that message to the ends of the earth, especially those people in places that have little or no access to the gospel. We ask that even this morning as we just discuss short-term mission trips and we just we just pray for your blessing on our time and that you would help us to understand what your word teaches and how we can apply that to our lives as a church in jesus name amen well um, last week if you guys were here you know jeremy introduced this missions policy a little bit um talked about the fact we've been working it's still a a living document. It's I wouldn't. It's not uh, the kind of document that will be you know written once and then live forever. I mean, I mean, be be in place forever. These aren't these aren't necessarily thus saith the Lord kinds of issues, but they're things that we've as a church tried to try to at least establish a, a policy of what we are going to be about in terms of missions, how we're going to go about serving in missions and fostering that in our church. So. We have this policy document. I'm just going to, I don't think Jeremy did this before, but I'm going to just outline some of the things that are in there real quick. And then today we're going to talk specifically about short-term mission trips, which are often a subject, I mean, I don't know, I feel like as we've been talking about missions the last few years, I've gotten many questions about it. Many of you probably, how, just by a show of hands, how many of you have been on a short-term mission trip? Probably it looks like at least a, maybe half of you of y'all. But so, just so you have a sense for what's in this policy document, this is the basic outline of it. Introductory matters, those are just things like what the policy is about, why we have it, basically to help us as a church make decisions about missions when it comes to what what we're going to be about, who we're going to support, how we're going to do that, how we're going to foster missions in our church. Then we outline some of the main theological points, things that are really going to be these, I guess, would be more like thus saith the Lord issues where they're really grounded in Scripture. These are things that we are going to hold firmly to in missions. And that really, when we look at people we're going to partner with, missionaries we're going to support, places we're going to send teams, like these are things that we would want to insist upon. So missions is ultimately about the glory of God. Man, apart from Christ, is lost. There's man, We don't have any hope. Ephesians 2 says... Um, you know, those who were apart from the revelation of God, that they were without hope in the world. So man, apart from, from Christ, is lost. Um, the exclusivity of Christ, that's something that is we are really wanting to insist upon, that there's really no other way. There's no other way to be saved apart from conscious saving faith in Christ. And the means that God has ordained for all this to happen is through the multiplication of churches. As disciples are made... People are sharing the gospel. People come to, to know Jesus. They are formed into churches, and these local churches then are, are gathered together, and they are to govern themselves. They are to multiply, and really through that multiplication process, churches, the, the gospel will be spread throughout the world. And as it is spread throughout the world, 
Contextualization is an issue that we talk about briefly in the policy, just how those churches are going to look different depending on what, what the culture they're in. They're going to have different flavors, although they're going to hold certain essentials. Obviously, the gospel and scripture, there are bedrock truths there, but the way they look and the way they are, are fleshed out is going to be different. We talk about people groups, we talk about missions and social justice. Those are things that are in that theology of missions section. And then we talk about our vision for missions at Cow Creek. And this, we say, is really threefold. The first, you can see them there, preaching and teaching, shepherding the church to be missionary senders, and then sending and supporting missionaries. So in the preaching and teaching section, that's really just what we do here through our services. Uh, we want missions to be one, an emphasis that just comes out as it, as it just comes up in the normal preaching of Scripture. As you go through text expositorily, you're going to find areas where missions just comes out, got that emphasis of God's gospel going to the nations. And even just through the regular teaching ministries of the church, and then when missionaries come to visit, having them also, when able, preach. The second emphasis, though, is about shepherding the church to be missionary senders. You know, really, that's, that's more focusing on us as a church. How can we be senders, better senders as a church? And this is, you know, some of these things you probably have observed just in the way that we function. Our, I mean, regular communication, that's email updates or missions moments, having corporate times of corporate prayer, giving financial support. We talk about some of those specifics in there. Missions events, our home fellowship groups provides an opportunity to talk about missions. And then these items are what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about short-term missions trips. And this is actually one of the issues that's a little bit more, I don't know if, if contentious is the right word, but we just had to think a little bit more about what specifically are we going to be about? There's a lot of a lot of things um, out there. So what are we going to? What are our purpose and priorities going to be? What are we going to do with short-term missions? I say all this. I'm not an expert on this. I mean, some of you have been on probably more trips or been on. I mean, we've had different experiences. I I have some experience. I've been on a few trips actually with this church. Um, way back in the day, we used to actually go fairly often. Paul probably remembers. I don't know every year, not every other year. We went down to Mexico. I went when I was like five years old. I don't know. My parents took me up. We remember staying in a tent in Porvenir, Mexico, walking the streets, uh, playing soccer with the kids down there. And then I went back again in high school, actually, a trip that Jeremy was on. Actually, I don't know. You were probably in college or something. I don't. I don't remember. But Jeremy was on that. I was in. I think, or maybe it was in junior high. I've been a few times to Honduras, actually, to, to spend time with the Montoyas. I one time for a summer there, and then. Um, a few times, actually once to Azerbaijan, when my wife and I were first married, we were thinking about being full-time missionaries, and we went on a like a 10-day trip to Azerbaijan in Central Asia to, to check that out, to just to evaluate if God was potentially calling us to that. So all I have to say, um, I'm not an expert. I've been on, so what we're going to talk about today are things that you know, Jeremy and I have, have worked through. We've some of this is going to come, we're going to go through the biblical basis for it, and some of it's things that I've gleaned from my own experience, my reading, and discussions with others. That last section, sending and supporting missionaries, that's what Jeremy covered last week. So how you evaluate missionaries, prepare them, work with an agency, and so on. Today we're going to focus in on short-term mission trips. And I want to start by just asking, you know, what does the Bible say about it? You know, I said these are not thus saith the Lord issues necessarily, usually the things in the policy... You know, we want to start by saying, well, what does the Bible have to say about it? And then how do we apply that into our situation today? So I'll just open for discussion here. Anyone have anything they want to 
what comes to mind when you think of short-term mission trips? And what does the Bible have any wisdom or principles that we should be following as we seek to flesh that out in our lives? Carlton? Uh, church uh, setting apart Paul and Barnabas. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to look at that text in a second. Paul being the, you know, the first missionary really that sent out. I mean, if you have your Bibles, I remember as a kid, I'd always look at these little maps at the very end of like Paul's missionary journeys. Uh, anything else? Mexico. Mexico. Uh, what does the Bible say about Mexico? <laughs> um, so one thing, I, I mean, I, as I was just reflecting on it, you know, sometimes these aren't really what we call mission trips, but We've just heard about Jonah, right? He was sent out on a short-term basis to bring the gospel to Nineveh. That was, in a sense, like in, in a little glimpse of a short-term trip in, in the Old Testament. In Acts chapter 8, there was an unintended missions trip, as you could call it maybe. That was more of a long-term. That's when the persecution started and the people were scattered. God forced them to go out and scatter and tell the, share the gospel. So those aren't really... Those are more long-term mission trips, but um, I think the best place to look is actually Paul's first missionary journey where we can start to glean some biblical principles. So if you want to look with me, turn to Acts chapter 13, and I'm going to read through, it's actually 13 and 14 is Paul's first missionary journey, and I'll just hit, kind of hit the high points. We're not going to obviously read the whole two chapters, but things that we see from Acts 13 and 14 that I think are helpful and inform our understanding of what mission trips should be about. Acts 13, starting in verse 1, it says, Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menaean, a member of the court of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So we don't know exactly what this was like for the Holy Spirit to say this to them, to set them apart for Barnabas and Saul. But the point that I want to make here is that we see here, I think that is helpful for us to apply, is that the church is the one who sent them out. These were members of their church, Barnabas and Saul. They were serving in the church. They were apparently teaching in the church, and the church set them apart for this work to which he's, the work to which they were called. And then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. That's actually the word, the word missionary. You may have heard me say that before, but missions, it comes from the Latin word missio. Anyone here? CC? No Latin. <laughs> missio. I think it's missio, or, my, uh, that's the, or miso, that's the Latin word. But that's where we get the word missionary, missions, and missionary it just comes from the idea of being sent out. And that's what we see here in Acts 13. The church sends out Paul and Barnabas. And then what do they actually do on their trip? We'll look at verse 4, 4 through 6. We see, so it says, So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they preached, proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And we'll, we'll stop there, but you see they're going out preaching the gospel. That was, they, this was their normal practice. They'd go out, find a synagogue of the Jews, and, and proclaim the word of God there. And as we kind of just jump through different, you know, jumping down verses 14 
or 13 through 16, you see that they then they set sail from Paphos and they go on repeating this practice. They go down, it says in verse, well, verse 13, they set sail from Paphos, came to Perga. John left them and returned to Jerusalem, but they went on from Perga and came to Antioch in Pisidia, and on the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading from the Law and the Prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. And then the next uh, 35 verses or so is actually just a sermon that is recorded that Paul preached there in Pisidian Antioch. So we jump forward. Chapter 14, you see this continuing, basically this pattern of them going into the synagogues, proclaiming the word, Jews getting upset, stirring up trouble, and kicking them out. And that goes on again. You see it in Iconium in 14.1. And then... 14.6, it says, well, they had heard about this attempt on their lives. They learned of it, and they fled to Lystra and Derby, cities of Lycania, and to the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. That's their way out. They're on this journey out. They're going from city to city, proclaiming the gospel. Then they've got a journey back. And so if you go to the end of 14, verse 21, it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned. Now they're going to go on a return journey, hitting really all the same places. But now it's a little bit of a different kind of journey. The first time they were going out, people had really never heard this message before. Now they're going back, and they're visiting a lot of those same churches. And it says, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. So then they continue back. Actually, they go back. Well, I'll just keep reading. They passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, you see they're continuing this return trip. They went down to Italia, and from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. So there they are, full circuit. They come back to their home church, and they're reporting. This is their missionary report. You know, we have missionaries come back, report. This is what Paul and Barnabas did. They came back to Antioch, and they reported what God had done through them as they went on this journey, both to preach the gospel where it had never been preached before, but then also on the way back, just, he said, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So that's Paul. I mean, some of you are thinking, okay, great, that's Paul. He's, you know, the, icon, the missionary par excellence. What else, is there anything else we can see in Scripture that is informative for us as we think about short-term trips today? And I think there actually are. There are quite a few other places. And I, I have a list of texts here. I'd like to just go through. Maybe we can, if you're, if you're willing, pick one of these, pull it up on your or um, turn to it, and I'll call on you all to read these sections. But we're going to see here, there's a lot more, more instances of what we might call short-term mission trips or travel for the purpose of spreading the gospel and working in missions in the New Testament. So does someone want to read 1 Corinthians 16, 15 through 18 for me? Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Achaia, and that they have devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus, 
because they have made up for your absence, for they have refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. So what do we see here? Who's traveling and what's what are they doing in their travel? Well, they're re- refreshing their encouraging yeah. their brothers and sisters in Christ. Yep. Paul is the missionary who had taught in, in Corinth, and some of these people, actually if you read at the beginning of 1 Corinthians, you see Stephanus was one of the people that had been converted under Paul's ministry. Paul had baptized him, and now Paul actually rejoices when these guys, Stephanus and these other Fortunatus and Achaicus, I don't think we know much, if anything, about them, but they come and they refresh the spirit of Paul. They encourage him. All right, what about Philippians 2? Someone, someone there? Philippians two nineteen through 30? I know it's a long one. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven work, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in their service. Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, So here we see Paul having, he planted the church in Philippi, and now he's, he's away from them, and he's sending... Tim, we see him talking both about sending Timothy and also Epaphroditus. And in this case, and what's his purpose for sending them? They're journeying a long distance to go to Philippi. What was what their purposes in, in these trips? Paul can't come himself because he's in jail. <laughs> and so he wants to send an emissary to encourage them and find out how they're doing. Yeah. He wants to be cheered by news of you. He wants to see how... He wants to exchange greetings and just, he wants them to rejoice at seeing each other. Um, he wants, he really wants to just encourage them in their doing this. These aren't trips necessarily where they're going to preach the gospel in brand new places, but it's just for strengthening the souls of, of believers. What about Colossians 4? Want to read Colossians 4, 7 through 9? The text will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. All right, so that's just another instance you see there. Paul is sending people, Tychicus in this case, um, for the purpose, he says, <laughs> that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. What about in First Thessalonians two? If you want to turn over just a couple pages, I'll I'll read this one. It's a longer section. Maybe I might just hit some of the high points. But in Paul had planted the church in Thessalonica, and then he had been t- torn away from them through persecution. He Paul had to flee, so he left a very young church there with 
in the midst of a very tumultuous situation and says in first thessalonians two seventeen, we were since we were torn away from you brothers for a short time in person not in heart we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you but i paul again and again but satan hindered us for what is our hope or joy or crown or boasting before our lord jesus is coming is it not you for you are our glory and joy Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. So Paul's worried about them. He knows they're suffering, and he can't go to them himself, so he sends Timothy to encourage them. Let me just jump down to verse 6 it says but now that timothy has come to us from you so timothy went and then timothy came back and he brought us good news of your faith and love and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you for this reason brothers in all our distress and affliction we have been comforted about you through your faith for now we live if you are standing fast in the lord so you see here this is just another example of paul sending people to check up on other believers to encourage them to hold fast and lastly, let's just look at 2 Timothy. Uh, I know we have, we've just been through 2 Timothy, but there's a few instances of what we might call short-term missions trips, or at least some principles we can glean from 2 Timothy as we look at travel for missions purposes in the first century. Someone read 2 Timothy 1, 15 through 18. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often oppressed me and was not ashamed of my change. But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. So we don't necessarily know all of the context here of the background, but I know when Jeremy preached through this, we saw that most likely Onesiphorus had come to Rome specifically for the purpose to encourage Paul in prison, to provide, maybe to provide some of his physical needs, but at least to provide him companionship, encouragement. He refreshed me. He was not ashamed of my chain. So here's an example of someone going to help you know, a persecuted believer as a missions trip, we might call it. And what about lastly, 2 Timothy chapter 4, We've, this is all fresh in our minds. I'll just read a couple of these verses from Second Timothy 4. Uh, Paul, you know, still at the end of his life, he's writing to Timothy, his, his uh, disciple. And he says in Second Timothy 4, 9, Do your best to come to me soon. He wants Timothy to come and visit him. And then he tells us a little bit more about what he wanted him to do. He says in verse 13, When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas, also the books, and above all, the parchments. And then in verse 21, again, he says, do your best to come before winter. So in this case, Timothy was being exhorted to go on a trip from Ephesus to Rome and to bring, partly just to encourage Paul to be with him, to have fellowship with him, but also to serve some practical needs, right? Paul was cold. He needed a cloak. Paul wanted books to read, and he wanted parchments, presumably to continue Writing And so Timothy was both to refresh him and encourage him, but also to serve practical needs. So that's what we see. I mean, there's probably there's more examples of these kinds of things, but we can see principles from all of this of the first century missionary travel that 
I think will hope, hopefully inform what we look at for us today. If we can just summarize all that, we saw all that. What was the goal of missionary travel in the first century? Anyone want to try to summarize all these things that we just saw? I shouldn't say what were the goals. Uh, that shouldn't that should be plural, not singular. There's more than one, and not one necessarily one right answer. Spread the gospel. Spread the yeah, spread the gospel, encourage believers, church planning, church planning. Practical, needs. Yeah. practical needs, yep, all right, that's basically what I have here, preach the gospel in new places, we saw Paul doing that, strengthen the churches where it already existed, sending people back to encourage them, help pastors, missionaries with practical needs, bring the cloak, and then also just bringing news and encouragement letters from one location to another, they didn't have internet or Skype or anything like that. All right, so that's the first century. Well, what about today? Obviously, things are a little bit different today. So let's just think about this. What has changed between first century and what has not? What's changed? That's, that's easy, right? Transportation. Communication. Yeah, I don't know if, if any of you have ever done this. It's, kind of, it's still hard to wrap your minds around, but if you ever fly internationally and you go to bed in... Reading and you wake up, or you get up in Reading and you go to bed in Dubai or Russia or wherever. I mean, it's it's still hard to fathom. You know, 12, 14, 16 hour plane trip, you can be just about anywhere in the world. So that's obviously changed where Timothy is going to take, you know, three months to travel from Ephesus to Rome. Uh, we can do it in a matter of hours. Communication, obviously, we can now, you know, we don't have to send people to Ukraine to find out how Kristen's doing. We just send her an email. And then discretionary income is probably something where, I mean, at least in this stage in our nation and where we are in the world, Americans in general, not every individual, but our churches, we have enough discretionary income that we can pay to send money to send, or send teams to, to travel. What about what, what has not changed? between the first century and today. The gospel. The gospel. All right. The need for encouragement. Yeah. Need for encouragement. Human nature. I mean, missionaries then and now are going to be doing hard work. And in the midst of opposition, they're going to feel alone. They're going to need refreshment and encouragement. Yeah, they're going to have practical needs. And really, the mission of the church has not changed either. I mean, the mission of the church being to... If we summarize it, either a Great Commission or in Acts 1, but to, to make disciples of all the nations. That was Paul's aim. That's what we see happening in the first century, and you know that is still the mission that we have for us today. So, with these things, I guess I would just point out, if we think about what has not changed, if we go back to the previous slide, we could basically say that all of these are principles that you know, there's going to be different... Technology obviously makes them look different. Travel makes it look different. Communication makes it look different. But really, the goal of missionary travel then and now should really be the same. To preach the gospel in new places, to strengthen churches, to help pastors and missionaries with practical needs, and then to bring news and encouragement. That really, all of that that we saw in the, the scripture for the first century applies to us today. But I guess with globalization, with travel, there's some extra challenges, some extra pitfalls, I guess, that um, we may not have, you may not have to, do, may not have had to deal with in the first century. Let me just share a couple of those. Maybe some of you have seen this, but this is a term, I think, oh, I forget who it was, one of the, you know, missionary missiology guys in the 90s came up with, the amateurization of missions. 
which maybe you've experienced. I know I experienced this. I was down in Mexico serving, uh, well, I was living with missionaries there for a month, and a youth group came down from a church in Arizona, somewhere not even, I mean, I had no prior contact with them, but I met them when they came down to do their short-term mission trip, and we were there. We were, I mean, we were helping with some impoverished agricultural workers, some people that had been displaced and were living in very poor conditions, and these the youth were there, and they came to to help them. And there were some practical things, some construction projects we were doing, and uh, I was kind of tasked to try to help facilitate that at the time. And you know, I didn't know exactly what I was doing, but at least I was trying to like you know herd cats, keep them working. And there was a time at which I went over to a couple of kids that were just sitting there, you know, twiddling their thumbs, you know, kicking rocks or whatever, and I said why aren't you guys working you know come on over here this is what we were, we've got some work to do here and I said oh, we've already done that we don't we don't need to do that anymore like for their view was they'd already done work and they were done I'll have to say travel globalization has made it easy for anyone to go but it's also it's made it easy for anyone to go so you we can <laughs> send anyone to be a missionary that's that's a pitfall we need to be mindful of ethnocentrism as people as we can travel now more we can interact with other cultures we can often think our culture is the best, right? We do it the right way here. So that's something we need to be mindful of. I remember when I was in Azerbaijan, we actually went with Aaliyah when she was eight months old. Poor, poor decision, by the way. <laughs> but that's, <laughs> that's not the, the point of the story. <laughs> My 21-year-old self didn't know what I was doing. But anyways, we were there with our small child, and we took public transport and I remember going on a bus with Aaliyah and elderly women would stand up and insist that I take their seat which just felt wrong to me like I'm here a young you know 21 year old healthy man and an elderly woman is offering me her seat and it felt wrong but I found out from talking to the missionaries before like in their culture if you have a baby you're automatically like at the top of the priority list for people to show you that kind of hospitality or that kind of uh, kindness. So I don't know there, there's things like that that, you, that you'll find w- whatever culture you go to. I know in Honduras one of the just little things is their hand signals are different. So this would mean to us, I don't know, if you look at someone and say this or make this symbol, you know, I don't know, what, what does that mean to you? Go away. Well in Honduras that means come. That means, you know, come over here. So there's just all kinds of things like that that is a, we need to be mindful of as we have this opportunity for sending amateurs in a sense in that into different cultures we don't want to be the ugly american the one who just comes in and insists we've got it right we're the world leader you do it our way we want to follow the missionary beatitude maybe some of you have heard blessed are the flexible for they will not be bent out of shape But oftentimes that's not our tendency where you know we go in thinking everyone needs to speak english everyone needs to do things our way and then you have people that are just vacationaries. They go to do their missions trip. Elizabeth Elliot said, speaking about short-term workers, she said, summer workers, she's sp- speaking about summer workers who come for the summertime. She said, summer workers and summer not. Uh, <laughs> so uh, these are things that we just, as we have opportunity to send teams, we want to be mindful of avoiding those things. So how can we as a church actually decide and prioritize what we want to be about in terms of short-term trips. Some of you may have seen a video. I actually haven't seen this. There's a, I found this online the other day, and it's a clip of a 
famous, uh, well-known office sitcom. And, um, and it, this guy's being interviewed. He says, what will be your first priority when you get this job? And he says, well, I will have seven first priorities. <laughs> and then he goes on to list his seven first priorities. All that to say, you know, you think about short-term mission trips. And I've just listed here. I could have gone. There's probably more that could be listed. But, you know, there's a lot of different things out there, right? You know, medical missions, disaster relief, construction, VBS, children's ministry, teaching SL, digging wells, discipleship training, engineers without borders. I mean, you could probably list more things that I haven't thought of that are opportunities for short-term trips. And one of the things that, as we were thinking about, well, how, what do we want to prioritize for our church? I would like to be clear, like, these are often good things. And there may be opportunities for individuals, families, you know, that have other connections or, like, to, to participate in a trip like this. I mean, it's not quite, I mean, it's similar to how we sent Elizabeth and Megan to Johnny and Friends, things like that, where it's not necessarily like a, a Cow Creek sanctioned trip that we're going to go send a team to go do this. But we have an, a member of our church who has an interest in going to serve in this kind of a, a cross-cultural setting. And we want to encourage that. We want people, I guess we want to encourage people to, to do that. But as a church, given we have, you know, given the fact that we have limited resources, limited time, we've got I mean, this, this could change over the time, but right now we've got one full-time pastor. We've got a missions coordinator that has a busy full-time job, and we, do, we have limited resources. So we've decided that it's better to, to prioritize things that are closer to what we feel are, are really the biblical uh, essentials. So one of those things, I mean, I think if we're going to start anywhere, it would be short-term trips for serving Cow Creek missionaries. You know, doing what we said we saw in the New Testament, encouraging and blessing missionaries. Like we said, I mean, being a missionary is hard. You know, we, many of you have been in touch with Kristen over the last few years. You know, she's got, there's good days, there's excitements, and then there's challenges and times when she feels like giving up. And just having, I mean, this was the testament that she said to us, I think, debriefing on the trip that we took Travis and the Youngs and Paul Kalkinen a couple of years ago. But just, it was just encouraging for her to, to be able to show people her life, to be able to have them see where her church was, see where she went grocery shopping, see her apartment, and just be with her, just the physical presence. Technology is great. We can, we can Skype, we can Zoom and all that, but it doesn't take the place of just presence with people. And so I think that's one thing that we would like to prioritize is it taking short-term trips to, to encourage and bless missionaries that we already are sending, that we already have a relationship with. So it could even be that a short-term trip, that would be the only purpose. I mean, just go spend some time together, encourage fellowship, and then go home. I mean, that, that, is, an op- that is a possible type of trip we could take. But there could also be opportunities to help with long-term ministry goals. And that's really something we'd want to try to really insist on or just be, be careful about. And that you know, a short-term trip, we all know, I mean, in one to two weeks, I just, I saw this when I was in Mexico, where you'd have youth that would go to the VBS, and they would, you know, they kind of knew the game. Like, you raise your hand, you believe in Jesus, you do what the missionaries want you to do, and then you do it again next week when the next group comes, or the following week. I mean, there, there's kind of an ugly side of that, where if you don't have people who are rooted, have long-term relationships that are there to follow up with discipleship, 
and see the long-term result of the work, then all kinds of things can happen. And you can feel good about the short-term trip that you did and uh, you can report numbers, but there may not be lasting long-term fruit. So this is another reason why it's just, we really want to focus on trips that would, where we have Cow Creek missionaries, where we know people who are going to be there to follow up and we can see what the long-term result is. Also then helping with practical needs. And this could be a wide range of things. I mean, this could basically, everything on that list could potentially be, on the previous list, could potentially be here a practical need. If, if you know, Mark Christopher said, we really need some wells that are for our new seminary or something. I mean, yeah, we could send a team to go help dig wells. But it would be with that a goal of helping, you know, practical need of a missionary that we're, we're supporting. Whether, yeah, construction projects, variety of things like that. Buying books, things like that. That would be one potential type of trip we could send, of a team we could send. Another would be short-term trip, and th- this is only two, so there's only two, short-term for serving Cal Creek missionaries, and then a short-term trip for uh, maybe a preaching or teaching opportunity with a like-minded ministry. So, I don't know if you guys remember this, but we sent Travis, before he went to Ukraine, to, before Kristen was even there, this must have been five years ago, he went to teach a seminary class at a Ukrainian a seminary in Ukraine, and there's other examples like this, where you know we could send potentially a pastor or an elder or somebody in our church to go and serve in a, with a like-minded ministry. It may not be a, a necessarily a missionary that we have sent out or that we support, but somewhere we have relationship with, and we could help them with a teaching or, or preaching opportunity. Any questions on anything I've said so far? Yeah. Or. I'm just curious because my perception is even when we were talking with uh, folks down in Honduras that they've developed an entire dedicated um, part of their ministry to mm-hmm. facilitating short-term mission trips yeah. and that those trips don't actually do a whole lot for mm-hmm. them but actually are designed to provide an experience for teams coming from other countries, there are, you know, then other secondary goals that they have in that, trying to help people understand what they're doing and potentially support them. Mm-hmm. But what what's your take? Because it seems like there's almost like a whole industry that's developed around short-term missions from the West. Yeah, no, that certainly, yeah, there are, there is, there is that side of it, which I think is why it's so important that we've partner with missionaries that we have relationships with. I mean, in the example of Honduras specifically, I mean, they do have, I think over the years, like when I went there, it's been over a decade now, but I went there, they didn't, they weren't quite as structured and they would have short-term teams come and they would do construction projects. They would do evangelism. They do, they put on a youth retreat. There's a variety of things that, like that that they would do. But then I think over time, as they got to the point where they were seeing that need grow, where they, instead of having three or four groups a year, it was like eight or ten groups a year, it became really overwhelming for, you know, Carlos and to, to um, facilitate all that. And so they really, like, set a couple people aside to help just, their job is basically to facilitate, to plan and facilitate these trips. So I think it can, I know when I first saw that, I felt more, I don't know, consumerist. I, it felt more like they were catering to the needs of the group. But I think it they are doing work that, it integrates with their long-term work. So whether it's serving a local church, serving in the seminary, or even just doing evangelism in the outlying areas. 
So at least with, with Honduras, I think I wouldn't, I wouldn't be concerned with sending a team or having a team go to do that type of work. If it was the same type of trip with an organization that we had no relationship with, I think I would, that would, to me would seem like more of a red flag. I don't know, does that? No, I mean, it does. Do you agree with that? Or? I just wonder, because I think, you know, your situation in Honduras is probably a bit more, a bit better than what you see in a lot of places where you almost have a ministry that it's almost like, almost, it borders on like a tourism type of thing. Right. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you have churches that send out mission, I mean, short-term mission trips filled with that are designed primarily to impact the people that they're sending, even sending unbelieving right. youth or things like that. And so that's that's pretty different than what we're talking about here. Yeah, all right. Well, that's a good segue. <laughs> <laughs> so who should go? I mean, if we're going to send a team to do one of these things that we're talking about, who should go? So the very first thing I think we should say is that they need to be believers. Maybe depending on your history, that may seem like a no-brainer. I mean, I don't know. I know of a local church that was sending a team actually to Honduras, but not to visit our team, a different team. And they invited non-believers to go so that they could, I mean, with the idea of evangelizing their teammates. Like, this would be a great opportunity for non-believing friends to come. They'll get to serve. They'll get to do, they can help us with our work, and they'll hear the gospel. That's not the kind of trip that we would, the team that we would send. We would insist that everyone who goes should be a believer. And they should actually be able to share their testimony beforehand, like in a pre in a, before you go, you should be learn how how can you share your testimony in five minutes or less or three minutes? Can you tell people the gospel? Can you tell them how it's personally impacted your life? That's really a non-negotiable for a kind of trip that we would send a team that we would send. I mean, I didn't know that. I guess when I first went to Honduras, I wasn't. If I one of the things I would have told myself when I went there was to be have, be prepared to share your testimony or even like a. A, a scripture, a, me, a lesson from scripture. There was a time I went into a rural church. It wasn't the main Siguatepeque where um, the Montoyas live, but they kind of sent me out with someone else from their church to this smaller church, like 30 minutes away up in the hills. And, and I got there and the pastor said, oh, that's great. I'm like 20 years old, 21. And he's like, I'm so glad you came. I'd like you to give the message today. <laughs> like, uh, I tried to, I did my best to dissuade him, like to tell him I'm not prepared, I don't have any notes, like I had never done, I wasn't, even now I don't, you know, I'm not great at just impromptu messages or anything, but he insisted and um, so I did my best, I tried to, you know, think of something I had read in my devotions lately and just talk about that and how it had impacted me, but that was the message for the for the week at that church. That may not be everyone's experience, but we definitely should insist that people who go are believers, they have a credible testimony, they're able to share in the gospel. Also, though, we would say that those who go should be active members of Cow Creek. Max Stiles calls it the 747 principle. I guess you could call it the 15-passenger van principle, but you're not going to do, you know, when you go on a mission trip, you're not going to start doing things all of a sudden that you aren't already doing at home. So if you're not already serving your church, you're not all already demonstrating those things in your life here, then you're not just going to go do that once you get somewhere else. And th- this is something that we've thought about more as we've, as we've talked about when we send teams. Inevitably, that team's going to need to have a leader. Uh, that, that's somebody's person, whether that's an elder or just anyone from the church that the elders were comfortable with leading a team. And that team leader would really, we'd want that person to, to vet with the elders' approval 
the, the team members that are going to go. So we probably would not in the future have trips where we just announce from the front and say, whoever wants to come, just sign, your, sign up on, on the list and you know, we'll send you. Not to say that we don't want people, you know, if you're interested, if someone's interested, they should come and say that. But ultimately, that team leader would be the one to just make sure that this person, we think they're a good fit. They're not going to have conflicts with the team and, and so on. Mm-hmm. Who should go? I said, finally, I just said you. I mean, all that might seem like we're trying to keep people away, but really it should be the opposite. Like, I can just give personal testimony that being going on short-term trips has the, some of the markers in my life of, like, of times when God really worked in my heart, opened my eyes to my own selfishness, my own sin, brought conviction in my heart, were oftentimes on short-term missions trips. Um, that's something that we, I think we would say that we want that for all of us, but we just, we want people to, we don't, we don't want to just send anyone on a trip. But for those, it doesn't mean that you have to be this super Christian. I mean, any faithful Christian who's in, in church, uh, whether they're young or old in the faith, we'd like to be able to send people on short-term trips. Partly because of what Jeremy's point was getting at, is that it really does we don't want to neglect the fact that it does. there is a work that God does in our hearts as we go. It's, it is, we want to integrate with the work of the teams that, that we're serving. We, want, we don't want to go in and you know, mess up their work so that they have to undo all the problems that we've caused. But we do also want to give our church membership the opportunity to experience that. Also, we recognize that most people will actually go on a short-term trip before they even consider becoming a full-time missionary. I mean, if you look at the stories of full-time missionaries, oftentimes um, a short-term trip is where they caught that vision for themselves. In closing, I just had a few FAQ, frequently asked questions, things that have come up as maybe some of you have asked these to me or others, or maybe you haven't even thought of them. But first one I said is considering the financial cost, are short-term trips really worth it? I mean, you know, especially if you're talking about a location that you can't drive to, then we're talking about airfare, we're talking about lodging, food, all of that. Is it really worth it? I mean, because you could arguably say, okay, if we're going to send a team of five and it's going to cost, I don't know, $2,000 a person, that's $10,000. Couldn't we just take the $10,000 and send it to the missionary? And maybe they could do more with $10,000 than entertain and facilitate our team for a week. But the, I think the way I would respond to that, and this I'm borrowing from a guy named David Sills, but he says that $10,000 doesn't really just exist in your church bank account, typically. Typically, that, that $10,000 exists because your team members are going on a trip and they've personally raised money, they've brought some of their own finances, church members have contributed, but it's specifically for that trip. So it's not as though you have a, a question of, what, of having this $10,000 and just sending it. The money exists because of the trip. And so I think it is, I mean, obviously there's, we want to be reasonable, you know, it's not, but the financial cost, I think, given the benefits of uh, serving the missionaries and the work that, that can happen in our own hearts, I'd say that it is worth it. That would be my response to that one. But what about this one? Can we send a team somewhere closer than Ukraine, South Africa, Uganda, Dubai, or Honduras? I think I got the, those are all the places I think we have we've sent out missionaries, which, you know, back in the day, Cow Creek, 20, 30 years ago, we had missionaries in right across the border down in um, Mexico. So it was relatively simple to send teams down there. At least we could just get a 15-passenger van and 
Hope we made it across the border. So I guess the way I'd answer that is, I mean, at least at this point in God's providence in our church situation, circumstances, we don't have another missionary team that is closer. I mean, Honduras would be the closest, which is still a plane ride, obviously. I mean, it could be that could change in the future. We could develop a relationship with a missionary team in Tijuana or you know somewhere somewhere in Mexico, and it could make it simpler to send short-term teams there. But at least for the time being, I think our intent would just be to to focus in on sending teams to serve missionaries that we support. It may not be what it used to be, but it is what it is. <laughs> so, any anyone want to add to that or question? Janelle? We support the Washburns, don't we? We do. And they're in, in Surprise Valley. Yeah. Yeah, and we actually have thought about that, too, of sending... We do like to clarify, if we're going to be technical, that it wouldn't necessarily... I mean, it's more of a local outreach. It is the same... You deal with a lot of the same things, getting out of your comfort zone, you know, out of your own little world, getting to serve other people who are in need. Like, that all is... You get a lot of those same benefits. And it would provide benefits, I think, to Ryan and his team as well. We probably would call it a an outreach trip or something instead of a missions trip, just because you don't have the cross-cultural taking the gospel to serve, you know, to other people's emphasis. We, I mean, it is a, it's a place in need, and we don't want to de-emphasize that, but we probably wouldn't call it a missions trip. Yeah, you want to lead a team to Washburn? The Washburn <laughs> <laughs> How can short-term, minis- short-term trips be most beneficial, both for the missionary and for those who go? We talked about the missionary part of it a little bit. Some of that I even might be... Um, in flux. I think after talking with Kristen after our last trip, she actually, I think, learned that we probably did too much on our last trip. Like, it was good, but she was drained. Like, it was... So I think the work that they did was was helpful, but I think if she were to do it again with another team, if Ukraine settles down, it would probably look a little different. But for those who go, I think one of the things to take away uh, that I've seen over the years is just Having a time to, to plan ahead of time and then to debrief afterwards is really helpful. Just knowing what you're... And then keeping a, a journal throughout the trip of what what you're learning and what, what you're experiencing. Uh, David Sills said, as long when you take a short-term team, you just need to make sure they have good food, good sleep, and then good work. So that would be another thing to just, you know, if people are... If their bellies are full, if they're rested, and they have things to do, then usually makes for a good trip. Or, I mean, a good experience for them. Yeah, I was just going to add, this kind of goes back to the first one, too, about the financial investment and just this mutual beneficial. We, we certainly, it seems like with short-term mission trips, we certainly want to gear the trip to be as beneficial as we can to the, the missionaries, which... That, that does change the trip rather than, like we even, like you said, we rethought this with respect to Kristen. What would actually be helpful to her, you know, and then we'll be flexible to that. What could we do that would actually help in a short period of time? Yeah. Because obviously, you know, someone like Epaphroditus in Philippians, <coughs> he appears to have brought a financial gift to Paul and then just stayed there for an extended period of time and he got sick, he almost died. Typically, we're not staying for months on end. Right. But So what can we do in that short period of time? But then also, I think we've talked about this before. Is it, is it worth the investment? Absolutely, because we do want to be a sending church. We do want to be a church that actually sends people to be long-term missionaries. 
uh, it's very difficult to see that ever happening apart from mm -hmm. people actually traveling, visiting missionaries, seeing the need, and then actually coming back and reporting firsthand what they've seen so that mm -hmm. our church is more connected, like Paul did with the church in Antioch, reporting what God had been doing around. So I think, you know, that's why I think we're pretty settled that this is an, a very important, mutually beneficial mm -hmm. for our church that you really can't... How are you ever going to send out missionaries long-term if no one's ever going out for a short-term mm -hmm. right. mission work in the field? Probably never going to happen, you know? Yep. No, I agree. And then the last question is one that I know Tom's sitting back there thinking it right now because he asks me every time we talk about missions, when are we going to send a team again? <laughs> I don't know, Tom, were you thinking it? Right in my mind. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> they were the last one we sent, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you guys just want to send me out. <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, this is something Jeremy and I have talked about, but with, I mean, COVID really destabilized international travel for a little while and but we're coming through that now so where it is feasible again but given that these trips kind these times of, i mean it, we don't have anything on the books to send a team right now but we've talked about sending a, a you know a team a, a team to honduras could be uh, that could be potentially a larger group depending on what we're going to do there could be need you know construction needs or youth ministry opportunities like we could send a team to do a larger effort like that in Honduras in the near future. Um, we've also talked about just sending, you know, again, I mean, I guess we don't know where Kristen's going to be, but we thought about before all this happened with Russia and Ukraine, sending a small team just to offer encouragement and whatever kind of help we could to her in her work there. I know Jeremy's thought about going to Dubai more to just to see the work there and get a vision for that. So there's things that we've talked to, we've thought about, you know, if that's a question you're asking, like, why can't, why aren't we sending a team yet? Just come talk to me. Like this is a this is a we. It's not like the church is going to just make it happen. We are the church. So uh, if that's your burning question, then then come talk to me. Come talk to Jeremy, and we can uh, figure out how to send a team. So, anyways, that's all I had. Any other final questions, or I can I can close in prayer if not. Seeing none, I'll close in prayer. Our Father in heaven, God, we thank you for your. Word, we thank you that it is um, true and it transcends all cultures and that you've given us this task to take the gospel to all these other cultures and that even through air travel and the communication that we have today that we do have the opportunity to send teams to visit and encourage and help in other ministries around the world. And we pray for wisdom as we seek to continue that and just for help and for the resource, human resources, the people to have an interest in going. And we just pray that you would be using this over the coming years, um, short-term trips, to raise up more laborers that would consider serving you even long-term. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.